Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to Unheard, I'm Freddy Sayers. So Vladimir Putin has given as his main reason for invading Ukraine the need to denazify the country. Understandably, the Western media is careful about this topic because they don't want to add any fuel to the fire or give any cover for his reason for invading. But what's the truth? Is there a Nazi problem in Ukraine? We're here with Aris Rusinos, a Unheard contributor You've actually spent time inside Ukraine with the neo-Nazi components and you're able, hopefully, in the next half hour to give us a sense of what the truth is. Clearly, it's not a reason to invade a country. 
But what is, in your estimation, the reality of the Nazi problem in Ukraine? It's obviously a very uh, controversial, very contested topic in a very heated media space at the moment. So I think it's important to emphasize that Putin's claim fundamentally is that in 2014 there was a, a fascist coup. When he's talking about the, the, the Maidan uh, revolution. And he claims that since 2014... Ukraine has been essentially run by a, a neo-Nazi government. That's obviously absolutely not true. That's not the case. Um, but there is a danger because Russia uses this, you know, for propaganda purposes. There's a danger to overcorrect too much, not to give him ammunition and to deny that there's any kind of, you know, neo-Nazi or extreme right component. That's not true. So, like, you know, even on on uh, listening to the news on BBC Radio Four the other day, they were saying. They're talking about Putin's baseless accusation that the Ukrainian state supports Nazis. And that's not a baseless accusation. So the Ukrainian state does support Nazis? There are groups like uh, the Azov Regiment uh, who are, yeah, who do have fundamentally a neo-Nazi ideology. Um, They're founded in 2014 by Andriy Bilecki. During the Maidan Revolution, they took part very actively fighting the riot police. Uh, Who's Andrei Beletsky? He's a Ukrainian neo-Nazi. I mean, he, he was a member of a, a neo-Nazi, he was a leader of a neo-Nazi group called Patriot of Ukraine. And in um, what sense are they neo-Nazi? Because this is a phrase that's kind of bandied around. What does it actually mean in, in a Ukrainian context? You know, in the past few years, like almost, almost everything, uh, kind of rightward of conservative has been called fascist or Nazi, right? But in, in a very specific... Uh, sense they are literally nazis in that so like um you know like there's a, there's a quote from Belecki back from his time in patriot of ukraine um, from i think 2010 when he says that ukraine's mission is to lead the white race to fight against the the semite led winter mention of, of, of the world that does sound quite nazi. it sounds quite nazi it's an ethnic white supremacist vision that's their politics is it that they want some kind of restoration of a white only culture or so I've spent time with um, Elena Semenyaka, who's Azov, the Azov Movement's international director, who's their kind of linchpin for coordinating with far-right and extreme-right groups across Europe and in uh, North America. Um, and she sees Azov's mission as part of a, a spiritual revival of Europe and the West. So uh, the idea is that you know the liberal order is crumbling, that it's weak, that it shouldn't exist, and that Europe should be reconquered i mean they had a uh they had a an event space called reconquista in in kiev that you know that speaks to this idea of a reconquest of europe away from liberalism so they want a restoration of kind of ultra conservative values expunging immigrants or yeah no gays yeah no, the... no immigrants no non-whites azov has a strong kind of neo-pagan aspect so um there are other far right and extreme right uh units in ukraine uh, militias in Ukraine that have a kind of strong orthodox ideology, orthodox. yeah, Eastern Orthodox, as of are essentially neo-pagan. Like they, you know, they're against Christianity. They they uh, use a lot of kind of you know Germanic Norse pagan imagery in their in their uh, ceremonies. Yeah, we've um, actually got some recruitment videos yeah. from Azov. Let's play them and, and have a look. We get a sense of that. So what are we seeing here? Yeah, so this is one of their kind of torchlit uh, ceremonies. They do that for new recruits and also uh, they do that to kind of do farewell send-offs to, you know, dead fighters who've been killed fighting the Russians and fighting the separatists. 
This is uh, Karpatskasich, who I met in, they weren't very friendly to me, I met them in, uh, in Western Ukraine, in the far west, in the Carpathian region. They also fight in the east, they also have support from the government. Even when I was in Kiev last, a few years ago, in the main shopping street in Kiev, there was a, there was a kind of poster celebrating, you know, their Karpatskasich's uh, uh, efforts fighting the Russians in the east. But they are just objectively neo-Nazis. Like if you go to the town they're based in... I mean, it almost looks like a kind of ISIS. Yeah, it looks far more like video. an ISIS video than anything you see in, you know, in, in Western Europe, certainly. You can see the Azov shield. So they've got the Wolfsangel uh, rune, which was also used by the um, SS Das Reich division. And I don't know if you can see behind it on the shield, there's the black sun symbol. There was a tweet a couple of days ago which actually came from NATO, which was celebrating International Women's Day. And one of the images of a female soldier, it was noticed by people on social media, actually was wearing this black sun symbol. Yes. And I mean, it, it keeps cropping up awkwardly um, in, in these kind of promotional uh, photos of soldiers who aren't uh, on the surface, you know, as of fighters or members of kind of extreme right wing militias. Does it mean they are part of the official Ukrainian military, but have sympathy for these far-right groups? It could mean that. I mean, it's difficult to say for sure without knowing the context in which these photos were taken, but even regular Ukrainian soldiers over the past few years keep kind of embarrassingly being, you know, shown wearing uh, SS regalia or, you know, morale patches that hark back to kind of SS symbology. So like the SS mm. you know, runes, the lightning bolt runes, or, you know, the SS totemcock. This black sun symbol, what's the actual history of that? What, what does it mean? Heinrich Himmler, who was the leader of the SS, uh, he was very into all this kind of neo-pagan, kind of, you know, very symbolic, uh, esoteric uh, symbolism. So in Wevelsberg Castle in Germany, uh, he, he created... Which is Himmler's castle, is it? Yeah, he, he wanted it to be like a kind of Camelot for the SS. So for senior SS officers, he wanted, you know, this to be their kind of uh, nightly base where they you know, perform various ceremonies and uh, you know, take over the world. Set in the floor of Wevelsberg Castle is this kind of giant marble mosaic of this symbol. It has no meaning. Like, it isn't some kind of prior pagan symbol. It has no meaning or context outside. So Himmler just designed it, did he? Or someone designed it for him, but that's where it comes from. And it's since been taken on as a symbol of esoteric Nazism. What does esoteric Nazism mean? Esoteric Nazi uh, ideology believes that Hitler was literally a deity. He was, he was a god. Um, and it and it it worships Hitler as a kind of avatar of the of the so divine. It's, it's a religious movement, yeah. almost. Yeah, basically. So it's like a very cult-like, um, occultic form of Nazism, right? I suppose even within a kind of Nazi or neo-Nazi subculture, this is like a very um, uh, fringe. Yeah, it's a it's a fringe belief. Even within the kind of Nazi subculture, the most extreme Nazi elements uh, within the kind of Ukrainian political sphere are exiled Russian neo-Nazis. So there's a guy called Alexei Levkin, uh, who's the leader of a group called Votanjugend, um, which is allied with Azov. It's been sheltered, given support by Azov, who he is an esoteric Nazi. Uh, he's a Russian ultra-nationalist. He's against Putin because he thinks Putin's too left-wing, essentially, that Russia has too much you know, non-white migration. Um, and they're fighting alongside Azov. You know, when I was hanging out with Azov in Kiev, Votan Jugend had a shop called Militant Zone inside Azov's headquarters. Azov's headquarters itself was a, 
is, is owned by the Ukrainian Ministry of Defence. It's given to them. It's in central Kiev, just off Maidan Square. And that's really become a, a hub for uh, neo-Nazi and extreme right activity from across Europe. So they do um, national socialist black metal uh, music festivals where you know bands from France and Sweden and Finland and Russia all you know, go on and do their kind of uh, Nazi thing. So are these Russian nationals who are... Yeah, Russian Ukraine? nationals. And they've been... Um, one of their big campaigns recently has been to get Ukrainian citizenship with Azov support because they've been fighting against Putin, they've been fighting against the Russian army in the East, but for their own essentially purely Nazi purposes. And during this campaign, do we have any idea what the Russian neo-Nazi component are doing? Are they, I mean, are I mean, they fighting I, I, I against assume, Russia? Yeah, I assume so. In fact, in Mariupol, they'll probably also be fighting against Ukrainian citizens who identify as Russians in the, in the East of separatists. Is it different to other countries? This is a question we asked a previous interviewee, and mm -hmm. he said that if you look at the electoral results of the far-right political parties in Ukraine, they actually only add up to 1.6% in total, which mm. is actually less than some individual far-right parties in other European countries have achieved. So by that evidence, he says there is no neo-Nazi problem in Ukraine. That is true. That is absolutely true. So electorally, they're very weak. All the far-right parties together can't, you know, couldn't clear the very low bar to enter the Ukrainian parliament, right? So in terms of mass support in Ukraine, they don't have it. Like the majority of Ukrainians would obviously kind of reject this ideology, all this kind of stuff. So in that sense, what Putin is saying is wrong. However, the problem is, it's not the correct comparison comparing them to kind of right-wing populist you know, groups um, vying for election in, in Western Europe or elsewhere in Europe. The issue is they are armed and funded by the Ukrainian state. You know, they have... They have tank units, they have artillery units, like they're very heavily equipped. I think we've actually got a, a, an image of uh, some NATO arms being handed yeah. out, or it's, a, it's a, some kind of shoulder-carried missile. Um, and the first battalion, it says here, that was being instructed on how to use it was the Azov Regiment. Yeah, so here we have you know, very modern anti-tank weapons, probably provided by Britain, right? Probably the guys being... Um, Blacked out there are, you know, British trainers. You can see the Azov logo there, the wolf's angle. There's another guy wearing the wolf's angle there. So, so it's not only supported by the Ukrainian state, it's also being directly armed by Western powers. Yeah, so un until very recently, um, there were very strict rules. Uh, you know, like the United States, Canada made it very clear that no arms they would supply to the Ukrainian army would go to Azov because of their concerns about the threat as opposed to the Ukrainian state and to Ukrainian civil society. Obviously now, in the current situation, that seems to have fallen by the wayside a bit. I think there's a, there's a comparison that could be made with um, you know, jihadist groups in Syria or you know, whatever. Groups like Azov are, because they're so ideologically committed, they make very good fighters. Like you know, they are very, very so good they're fighters. useful. Extremely useful. They're extremely useful to the Ukrainian state. But they also represent a potential future threat. And I think like the jihadist problem in Syria, there's a tendency in the early stages to underplay the potential threat they represent because you know, people in the West would ever think it, it provides uh, useful ammunition to the enemies of the broader project. So what is that threat? I mean, if there wasn't a neo-Nazi problem before this war, there might be afterwards because I would imagine that their popularity will increase because of this 
battle. It feels like if they are waging the kind of defensive efforts in these key cities of Kharkiv and Mariupol and so on, people will probably support them more after the battle is over. Yeah, you'd assume so. I mean, um, you know, you see the you know like the Ukrainian National Guard have been you know promoting Azov's efforts in Mariupol. What is the threat? to Ukraine afterwards. So let's say I think the real, after this war yeah. is over, what role will these neo-Nazi groups have? Will and what threat do you see them posing? I suppose the way to answer that is it depends how the war ends, right? So if the war ends, as I think is likely, with uh, the Ukrainian government having to cede territory in eastern Ukraine or you know give up its claims to Crimea. Um, then groups like Azov, Azov particularly, they represent a threat to the to the stability of the Ukrainian state because they can say, like, you know, we, we refuse to accept this. In 2019, I spoke to Elena Semenyaka, who's Azov's international director, and I asked her, you know, does Azov still see itself as a revolutionary movement? And she was very clear that in the event, she was anti-Zelensky, in the, in the event that uh, Zelensky became what she called a puppet of Moscow, then she said, you know, we have, uh, we have a plan for, for using our, our influence within the Ukrainian state to, you know, prevent any loss of territory or any kind of betrayal of the Ukrainian state. So any settlement that redrew the Ukrainian boundaries in some way, mm -hmm. whether losing those provinces in the east or surrendering Crimea more long term, would probably be unacceptable to Azov and these ultranationalists. And so they might actually potentially use those arms to, I don't know, fight against the Ukrainian government. It's, a, it's almost equivalent to the IRA or the, you know, the Irish settlement in the 20s. It's that, is it, are we looking at that kind of situation? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the primary risk. I think the primary risk groups like Azov represent aren't to Russia and probably aren't to you know, Western Europe, but are to the, to the stability of a future Ukrainian state. So for now... Yeah, they make great fighters. You know, they're defending Mariupol against overwhelming odds, uh, very committed, you know, fighting very hard. Uh, but in a few years' time, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, there was a kind of unanimity that we, you know, we shouldn't give anti-tank weapons or certainly not, you know, anti-aircraft missiles to groups like Azov. That seems to have changed very quickly uh, over the past few weeks. with not really much discussion about that. And... That's something in a few years we might potentially think was a mistake. Finally, give us a sense of the scale of this. Obviously, it's not the majority of Ukrainian people or even the majority of the armed forces. Do you have any sense of numbers, both of people who support these movements, mm -hmm. members of the wider movement, or even the military themselves? In absolute numbers, like it's a tiny, tiny, tiny proportion of you know, the Ukrainian population. So I think the last, no one really knows for sure, but I think the last... Uh, Reliable figures for Azov were about 2,000 active fighters at any one time. In the wider Azov movement, which includes its political party and you know the National Corps and the National Militia, which are the kind of policing auxiliary militia, uh, which help the Ukrainian state by policing cities like Kiev and Kharkiv, uh, maybe 20,000 people maximum. We don't know how the wars changed that. Maybe they've attracted more recruits. Maybe some of those 20,000 people who were committed to the broader movement but weren't active fighters have now become active fighters. We can't really say for sure at this point. And what about Beletsky? Where's he? Last I saw him uh, was on Instagram in Kiev 
um, seems to be having some role in the defense of Kiev. He said he was uh, recruiting in Kiev on social media. He's also been uh, uh, kind of releasing threats to the Chechens who are outside Kiev to come on and face him, you know, man to man. So Chechens versus Azov. Aris, thank you for explaining that to us. Always a pleasure. That was Aris Rusinos with us here in the studio at Unheard, talking us through the reality of the neo-Nazi situation in Ukraine. It's something that's hard to talk about because it's been so much part of the Russian propaganda and their reason for invading. But clearly, it is an unusual situation where there are active neo-Nazi regiments or paramilitary groups supported by the Ukrainian state. At the moment, they're being very useful. They're good fighters and they're part of the defense of the country. We'll see in coming months and years whether that becomes a bigger political problem. Thanks for watching. This was Unhappy. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.